Please pray with me. Father above, this morning we rejoice in the resurrection of your Son. Lord, we rejoice that in his death and resurrection all things have been made new. I pray that this morning, in these few moments, the glory and the gravity of what he has done would draw us to deep faith and love. Amen. You know, one of the jokes is that we know the resurrection is true because if the account had been made up, whoever made it up would have had the presence of mind not to make all of the women at the tomb named Mary. <laughs> it is pretty funny, is it not? In case you ever wonder why that's the case, Miriam, the brother of Moses, all of them are named after the greatest heroine of Israel's past. Acts 10 is where we're going to dwell for a few minutes this morning. And Acts 10 records a meeting between Peter and Cornelius. We're only seeing a brief snippet of it in these verses that we heard. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the poor fisherman, turned apostle. Cornelius, a well-to-do retired army officer. God had told Cornelius to call Peter to his house. And at the same time, he'd given Peter a vision three times that what God calls clean, we have no right to call unclean. And that includes even people who eat unclean foods. Peter needed more than three visions, though, because God had to show up and actually say directly, there are people coming for you. Go with them without hesitation. He needed a lot of prompting. Cornelius only needed one word. I want you to imagine with me, though, the meeting. This meeting of two rugged, tough men. One tough, hands tough from hauling nets, from moving boats, from cleaning the fish, from being out on the water, in the sun and in the heat and in the cold. A life of hard physical labor, tough and rugged and poor. The, also, the other also tough and rugged, but not poor at all. A retired army officer, rugged from army campaigns and marches. The joke about the Roman soldiers is that they were mules because they would carry 100 or 150 pounds of weapons and equipment on their back when they marched. Strong men, but a man that likely had seen friends die in battle. A centurion, you didn't get to be a centurion by being noble-born. You had to work your way up the ranks to get to that place. Somebody who had served in the heat of battle and come through tested and strong. Come out the other side wealthy with servants and a family, a household so respected that he still got soldiers clustered in his home after his retirement. These two rugged and tough men one with status and wealth and respect, the other a poor Jew, a fisherman. And yet when Peter arrives at the home, in front of all of his family, his servants, these soldiers who spend their time in his home because of the respect for him, Cornelius falls down on his feet and begins to worship Peter. Can you imagine what his wife and children thought? their tough and strong father worshiping this Jewish fisherman. 
And Peter, get up. I'm a man like you. You can imagine him going, what is wrong with pagans? We don't worship people. You can imagine him frustrated. I want you all to feel this scene. Because when Peter looks at Cornelius in verse 34, and he says, truly I understand now that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. When he looked at this rugged Roman soldier who just tried to worship him and said, now I get that God doesn't play favorites. I wonder what he felt. We take it for granted that God doesn't show partiality. We take it for granted that everyone is invited into his kingdom. That everyone can be forgiven. That Jesus died for everyone. We take these things for granted. We may not always act like it. We may not always even like it. We may not always feel this way. Because there's others who are hard to handle. There's people who have wronged us. There's people that we're suspicious of. People that we don't trust. There's people that it's actually really difficult to imagine ever being forgiven. In other words, we don't always feel this way. But we take it for granted as a matter of belief that God doesn't play favorites. That he invites everyone in. That he calls everyone to himself no matter what they are. No matter whether they're clean and wealthy and proper or dirty and filthy and poor. From the Hollywood star to the factory worker to the unemployed to the homeless, men and women, young and old, from every race, tribe, nation, tongue, ethnicity, we testify and believe that God doesn't play favorites. All are invited. All are loved. Jesus died for all who turn to him. We take this for granted, even if it's not always easy and we don't always act like it. But this was brand new to Peter. This was brand new. He had just been told by God that what God calls clean, you have no right to call unclean. He was still probably coming to terms with the fact that this included Romans. People who were unclean by definition. Imagine this with me. Cornelius was a centurion. When he sent his two servants to fetch Peter, he sent a soldier with them. Imagine what Peter saw is this man in the leather and the metal with the sword at his hip marches up to his door. He sees one who looks an awful lot like the people who just killed Jesus. He sees people who are, they've, I've seen these men marching through the streets of our town. What right do they have to take over our cities, to take our money? Cornelius is a centurion. There was one of those overseeing the crucifixion of Jesus, giving orders, one holding the whip when he was lashed. Besides, I've seen seen men like this abusing my friends. That friend that I have that I fished with, I saw him beaten in the corner of the streets by a group of these Roman soldiers because he wouldn't lower his head when they passed. When someone from a different category, a different race, a different language, 
does something to hurt us, it's easy to assume the worst of everybody who fits that category. And my guess is when Peter is standing there in front of a home of a retired army officer from Rome with Roman soldiers in the room, speaking through an interpreter or speaking in their language, that it might have been hard to come to terms with the fact that God doesn't play favorites. But even more than this, the Romans were idol worshipers. They engaged in, they permitted all sorts of filthy sexual behaviors. They ate dirty foods. This is what Peter's seeing and feeling when he looks at these people. They didn't keep the commandments. They weren't circumcised. They were, by every standard Peter knew, unclean, to be avoided at all costs. And yet here Peter was, at God's leading, saying, I guess Romans 2 are acceptable in the kingdom of God. Not second class, but allowed in just like me. I wonder if he was scared to say it. I wonder if he wondered whether he was wrong. Think of the implications of this. I've got to go report to all of the other disciples that I just invited Romans in. Will they believe me that God gave me a vision? It's actually hard for us to understand how much the Jews hated the Romans. And it's important that we recognize that at this moment, they had no reason to believe that a Roman could follow the Jewish Messiah without first becoming a devout Jew. That theology comes after this event. In this moment, Peter's standing on faith, going, I believe that God is telling me to invite this man in. I don't know if the words stuck in his throat, but I doubt that he said them without trepidation. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? I also don't know what he felt when he looked at the same man and he said, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness. This is verse 43. I don't know what he felt. Did he look at Cornelius and say, that man has a lot to be forgiven? Did he look at Cornelius and see the conquest of his own people? Did he look at Cornelius and see the seizure of his own land? Did he look at Cornelius and see his idolatry? Did he wonder, can Jesus' sacrifice really cover all of that? I mean, the things that the Romans did to the Jews from trying to put idolatry in the very temple itself, marching their standards into the temple, from defiling the land, did Peter see all of that? And did he hesitate and wonder whether Jesus' sacrifice really covered it? I wonder if he struggled when he said that point. Everyone who believes receives forgiveness. My guess, though, is that it was actually easier for him to say that Cornelius could be forgiven than it was for him to say that a Roman could come in and follow the Jewish Messiah. I bet it was easier to say that he could be forgiven very simply because Peter probably still had running through his own mind the memory of his own sin, the memory of what he'd been forgiven. 
Feel him standing there announcing forgiveness, forgiveness. And yet playing through his mind is, I had all of the knowledge. I had all of the benefits. I knew the word of God. I was brought up as a Jew. I walked with Jesus. I learned from him. He loved me. He was my friend. And yet in the moment of crisis, when the going got tough, I lied. I tucked tail and ran because I was scared. And a little servant girl terrified me because I realized that I valued my own skin more than my friendship with Jesus. And so I said, I never knew him. Peter remembered what he had been forgiven. He knew what forgiveness was. And I don't think he spoke to Cornelius glibly in this moment. I wonder what the others listening heard. Imagine the group with me clustered around Cornelius' home full, his wife and children, the servants, the soldiers who hang out at his home because Cornelius is so respected. Imagine them hearing Peter say, if you believe in Jesus' name, there is forgiveness for you. These tough Romans. Forgiveness? Everything has to be paid for in life. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Everything has to be paid for. Did Cornelius think back to those early years? Early years in the army, when he visited the prostitutes when he was away from home. Did he remember the money that he took from helpless peasants who couldn't fight back because he had a sword and they didn't? Did the soldiers standing in the room remember the time they abused and beat that farmer because he wouldn't bend the neck and bow the head to them as they passed by? Did his wife remember the moment she belittled and despised and abused that slave who displeased her? These are the sort of things that they would have felt when Peter says there's forgiveness. We take forgiveness for granted. We barely remember how staggering it is that we are forgiven. But this was new news to this group of people listening to Peter. Is this Jew really saying that because we killed that man Jesus and he rose again from the dead, everything I have done that is offensive can be washed away? Is that what he's actually saying to us? Everything. Do you all hear that news this morning? We are so accustomed to the language of forgiveness that we forget what it means. We are almost numb to it. This is where the story leaps into the present day. Everything, the darkest things that you are terrified of acknowledging to the world, the things that still bring shame that you hope that no one ever finds out, the petty sins, the little things that you justify that you struggle with every day. Everything. All of it. All of it. It can be forgiven. Washed away. 
cleansed. All we need to do, all we need to do is believe in Jesus. Trust in him. All of it removed, cleansed, taken from us. And the only cost, trust in him. My life in his hands. I follow where he leads. He rules, I follow. It's the only thing. Trust in him. You see, this is the promise that the dead and risen Messiah holds out to us. Merely believe in him and you will be clean. His death cleanses you. His death cleanses me. His resurrection life offers us new life. And the things that we carry on our shoulders and deep in our hearts are not actually carried by us anymore. They are in the heart of Jesus who loves us. This Easter, if the burden seems heavy, if the sin seems deep, if you know your own guilt, simply come to him. Come trusting in his name, and he forgives all. Amen.